Well, welcome to the Mountain Students Team podcast, a podcast specifically for our students team. At Mountain Students, we make more and better disciples of middle school and high school students by connecting them to someone who loves God and loves them to help them connect and develop an authentic faith. We believe everything rises and falls in the strength of our disciple makers and the process to connect students to them. My name is Chase, our content director for Mountain Students. I'm here with Sean, our lead students pastor. Hi, Sean. How are you doing today? Doing good. good? Looking forward to our second conversation. Yeah, we're, we're this has become a thing now. Like this is a thing. If we do two episodes, then we have to do a third. I think that's how that works. So it's in my contract. So sign that. Over the weekend. Really excited. Is that true, producer Julia? So. Okay. Well, thanks, Julia, of course, always producing. Thank you, Julia. Uh, Sean, we have a very special guest today. I believe his name is Luke Erickson. Uh, is, it, is it Luke is, Erickson? That's what I go by, yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's great. Better than your old nickname, which is, I don't know, do you have any nicknames growing up? I did. My uncle always called me the Banana Man. For no particular reason. What? <laughs> yeah. I didn't really plan on sharing that today. but Wow. Yeah. How many people know that you were called the Banana Man? Not many, all, but people a part of this church who've been a part of this church for a while have seen me wow. singing and dancing in a banana suit. So nothing would have delighted Do my uncle more. Do you think that being called the that. Banana Man as a young person led you to become the banana costume wearer that you are today? You know, I don't know what goes on in the subconscious uh, as we grow up and the things and experiences we have as a young kid and how those all get translated and manifest when it, when you become yep. older, but certainly seems like there's something going on there. That's amazing. So is there always <laughs> money in the banana stand? I've always oh, okay. I've always heard that. All right. It's true. That's a great aggressive development joke. Um, I don't know nothing about that. Oh, it's great. Anyway, um, Sean, you just won a little place in my heart for that. That was awesome. Well, we have a really great conversation planned for today. We have Luke with us. We're going to be talking about some sexual integrity conversations, um, especially as we enter into this series. Let's talk about sex in February. So there's a lot of things that you know, we said um, in our videos and the groups, guys, and in the experience that is just, you know, it's going to be met well. It's going to be very challenging for our students. But as leaders, it's really hard to uh, um it's sometimes really hard to have those conversations, um, especially if we're a new leader, if we're talking to younger students, if we're talking to students who have experienced those things, like it can just feel overwhelming to think like, how can I help disciple this kid who has done these things or had these things happen to them? So uh, but before we get into that, we always want to ask our guests a question. I'm very excited. So we, we, asked, we asked one already. Well, I mean. Is it a bonus one? Yeah, this, this a little bonus, bonus one. one. Okay. It's a little bonus one. Well, it's the one I had prepared. All so. Right. Uh, you know, validate me. Um, so you're a basketball player. Okay. You grew up playing basketball. Okay. Um, so do, do you agree? You don't seem very confident the, uh, being a basketball player. The, uh, sure. the the question I don't want to ask is who's the best basketball player of all. That's a stupid question. Right. right. Um, dumb question. But yeah. I would love to know in your experience as a as a hooper, someone who loves mm-hmm. the game, um, who's your starting top five of all time? <laughs> of all time? Of all time. Who would you put? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I grew up in the 90s with the Dream Team, so you sure. could just throw them out there. Okay. Um, 
this is this is a really hard question. I mean, so Michael Jordan is my favorite player ever. I've seen him play yes. twice in my life with, so, in person. But is he the one? Is he the two? What does he play? Well, he's not the one, but well, yeah. I man, you're putting me too much on the spot. I, I would probably have LeBron James bring it up. You know, he can play the Love point that. forward. Love that. Um, Hakeem Olajuwon mm. at the five. Yeah. Yeah. Uh is Michael Jordan the two then? Yeah. All right. That's hard to say. I mean, I'd probably put Shaquille O'Neal in there too. We would just be four? monstrous. Well, no, Shaquille would be five. Akeem would be that would the be four. An amazing, okay. amazing front. Then who's your who's your little stretch wing three here? Yeah. You guys shooting some three pointers. We might need. Um, Is it Steph? Boy, Is it KD? we could put Steph in there. No, let's just let's just put Kevin Durant in there, and we'll just be. A, I mean, monstrous. it's going to be hard to beat that team. <laughs> What's the average height of that basketball team? Yeah. Like six ten. Michael George is the shortest player. Six 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 six. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Uh, Line them up across the gym, tip to tip, fingers with a wingspan, and we. They probably stretch the whole court. Yeah, for sure. All 90 feet. Honestly, (laughs) just, it'd be insane. I haven't thought about that question maybe ever, but there you go. I'm not sure if I still like my answer. We'll uh, we'll cut this section and send it it to NBA today or whatever. They don't care. There's enough people (laughs) spouting off of their opinions on the NBA on TV already. They do not need mine. That's fine. Well, thanks for thanks for enduring the question. Sure, sure. Um, Sean, let me hand it over to you here. We got some questions to go through. It's a good conversation to have today, so let's hop into it. Yeah. So, kind of the first question: How, how do we think about our sexuality? Uh, very big question. Yeah. Uh, but where where do we begin? How do we think about this in a, a good, deep way? Mm-hmm. Understanding that it's okay to talk about it and think about it and to do that before God, I think, is important. So I'm I'm coming from a Christian perspective. I'm someone that follows Jesus as you are, and we're in a community of people that are trying to follow Jesus as best we can and uh, experience all the richness that comes from that. And that includes our our sexual life. Our sexuality is part of that. I'm very aware that maybe maybe for everyone. Um, because, you know, sexuality is experienced so intimately, it kind of is a private thing, or it can be an awkward thing, of course, you know, going through middle school especially. But maybe especially for people who have grown up in the church and have some assumptions that they've picked up sometimes from the church, that uh, sexuality is not something that we can really talk about. It's uh, not a thing that God is uh, really proud of or, you know, that we could really talk about in church or be honest with before God. It's something maybe we snicker about in the bathroom. Uh, Our knowledge about sexuality comes from, yeah, elementary school or middle school or high school playgrounds or locker rooms and stuff like that. We have a lot of examples of sexuality that don't really square with anything that uh, we would say that are are God's designed for it. So it's a tough situation to find yourself in and how to even think straightly about it. So we, we find our bearings. I think we we gain our wisdom and insight. We have light for our path when we go to the scriptures. That's one of the gifts that God has given to us to communicate through his word, which, of course, is confusing. And we're, we're spending a lifetime trying to figure out how to navigate God's word and read it. And But we're a community that does that together. And it has a lot to say about sexuality that could take up a whole podcast if you're really trying to unpack a full answer to the question, like, how do I think about sexuality, right? But just a, maybe a few highlight things, and you guys could drive in upon the things that you've learned from your study of God's Word and God's perspective. Number one, God is not, like, embarrassed about sexuality. God created it, right? God created uh, humans and relationship, and that's a, a part that God designed. So it's not nothing that we have to be embarrassed about to talk about 
in front of God or talk to God about or learn from God about. So on the right beginning pages of the Bible, God creates man and woman and the two become one flesh. And that union, part of that is is the sexual union, a physical union. And it, it speaks for so much, part of so much more than that. But it's right there in the beginning. And certainly when sexuality is broken or goes off course from God's intention, it does introduce all kinds of challenges and problems. And the Bible story is not... Um, ignorant of that. We, we, we see that and we can relate to some of those uh, frustrations and challenges maybe in our own life. And I hope that everyone has an opportunity to also relate to the ways that um, sexuality can be used in a very beautiful and life-giving way, a very fulfilling way. That was God's intention. You see that in the biblical story as well. I mean, the Song of Songs is erotic love poetry as uh, a man and a woman are pursuing one another and uh yeah this gift enjoying this gift that god has given so they certainly don't seem embarrassed to talk about it or understand it as an integral part of what it means to be human and there's no reason to see our sexuality as something that has to be hidden from god or that god you know can't handle that or you know we're too stiff to talk about that because we're church people or, or something like that Totally understand when we feel like we get into some things that maybe cause us to feel guilty or there's sexual brokenness, just like any kind of brokenness, the place in life that we mishandle or feels like, boy, we didn't do that right. Then, yeah, it does get hard to talk to God about it. And we so those things are real, of course. But just in principle, there's nothing about sexuality that needs to feel like it's off limits. Uh, It's part of how we were designed. And just like all aspects of life, we want to know why God made it and and how do we uh, handle our sexuality, steward our sexuality in a way that really brings life and is pleasing to God and edifying to us and makes the right kind of difference in the world. So, I mean, just like a lot of other things about what it means to be human, we're asking those questions when it comes to our sexuality. So those are a few places to start. Just I'm also Jesus too, you know, when Jesus came on the scene, he just stood in line with uh, calling to sexual integrity. I like that phrase that, that we've used, which says this, this is something in line with God's design. God made us, God made sexuality. And so let's seek his wisdom and how to, to do it best. And uh, Jesus affirmed, you know, when he was asked about it, he goes back to that original design and the first pages of the Bible and God's intent for humanity. You know, husband and wife should be joined together and the two become one flesh. And that union is important. doesn't mean that you can't be a human without a union, with a, a sexual union with another person. Certainly Jesus is an example of that and Paul's an example of that. There's plenty of people in the Bible who, uh, as far as we know, weren't uh, sexually united to another person in a marriage kind of a thing, and they could live out a full, meaningful life. But it doesn't. It also is true that a sexual union can be really beautiful, and it's something that God uh, uses to, yeah, bring not only more people to the earth, but more joy to life and fulfillment. And it, it's nothing to be embarrassed about, but in fact, something that is very much at the center of God's design. So after all that, if I was just going to sum it all up and say, how does the Bible invite us to think about sexuality? Kind of three handles that we could grab onto. These themes are emerging from the biblical witness. Number one, sex is good. God made it. It's a beautiful and wonderful part of life. Number two, sex is sticky. Haha. What I mean is sex bonds you to a person in a one flesh 
kind of a way. That's how the Bible talks about it. Now, that's very different from the way that we tend to think about it today. But sex is part of a relationship that's meant to stick and to hold. And so sex has a gravity to it that we just don't give it credit for today most of the time. We view it much more casually. We don't see it as the consummation of this profound union that in some way, according to Ephesians 5 and this amazing picture there, images Jesus' love for his people, for the church, to just cite one biblical example. Sex is a beautiful aspect embedded into that larger picture of a marriage union. It's integral to the uniting of two people together. And that means sex is powerful, right? It's not something to be flippant with or careless about or just to pretend like there are no strings attached. So sex is good. Sex is sticky. And then number three, sex is boundaried, if I could say it that way. God designed it to happen best in a certain way. It fits within God's whole creation that is boundaried. When God creates on page one, all of it, sun, moon, stars, seasons, day, night, seas, land, all of it, there's boundaries to all of it. And those boundaries sustain life for all of creation. When God introduces boundaries for his people, they give life and prevent death. And that's true of sexuality as well. When God gives boundaries for his people, they're meant to give life and prevent death. And sex, no surprise, is boundary. Now, when you think about those boundaries and when you understand that God has set boundaries in place, well, it requires trust to believe that those boundaries are in fact best. And trust really is at the heart of all aspects of following Jesus. And that's no different with sexuality. Luke, why do you, excuse me, um, like not wanting a whole historical account here, that'd be a little rude to ask off the cuff, but it does feel like the conversation of sex in the church has been, been taboo for quite a while. Mm. Um, and especially for, I know, I know millennial generation and even younger is starting to shift a little bit, you know, we're definitely trying to do what we can do and mount mm-hmm. students, but just culturally speaking, like it's always been a little taboo. And, uh, when it has been discussed, it's tended to feel and maybe be presented as more shame based, guilt based. I'm just, I'm curious, why do you think that, um, do you think that those were just easier ways to present it? Do you think that it was just maybe an old way of thinking that just permeated and just stuck? Is that just mm-hmm. how do you feel? Yeah. Like maybe some reaction to just sure. the way the church has responded to the conversation in the past few decades and mm-hmm. having to start making some shifts out of that and into the new. Yeah, and I'm not fully quite qualified to speak historically on why that is the case, but uh, certainly broken. We're, we're in a broken world, right? We experience. Uh, Brokenness, Bible talks about sin. We're all infected with that in one way or another. It leads us off course. We miss the mark of God's intent for what what he made us to be, right? And so that's true of our sexuality. So in the presence of extreme brokenness, there is often extreme shame and guilt. And so that has, has maybe pervaded... Um, Particularly in, in the church, we, we've latched on to that. And I, I guess we think maybe the problem will be fixed is just by shaking our finger at people saying, no, 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 don't do that. You need to be uh, behave better. And okay, sure, there is a, a calling. There's a standard. There's an ethical standard to sexual integrity. But just like any standard, hu- humans are um, people who don't always live up to those standards. And the church has to be able to figure out how do we nurture people in those places where we have veered from the course and we were not 
hitting the mark? And can we do that patiently and lovingly, not compromising on what the standard is and holding ourselves to what's true, but uh, just shaming or casting someone off and excluding them because, oh, sexual brokenness is part of their story. I don't think is the way that Jesus discipled people either, you know. So he, he encountered people struggling with all kinds of things, broken in all kinds of ways, both by what they've done and what had been done to them. And he, he welcomed them with love and grace and um, introduced them to what's true. And sometimes when you see the light of truth, that hurts your eyes, just like when you walk to a bright room coming out from the dark, there's a period of adjustment and everyone has time to adjust to what Jesus' calling is. And that's true when it comes to our sexuality. Um, so I think, I don't know why we've accented the, hey, you've done it wrong, you should feel bad about yourself. I certainly would love us to come on the other side of that coin maybe and say, sexuality is such a gift and here's what it could be. Here's what God designed it for and here's how it can give so much uh, nourishment and fulfillment to life and here's the, the good that it can be when it is used within its proper design, when it's used within the boundaries that God has set up. I think accenting that certainly has a lot of power. And so maybe I'm not really answering your question as to why we haven't done that in in most cases, but that's certainly something that I think we can do more of uh, so that we're not just being afraid of the negative ramifications of messing up, but being uh, compelled and drawn to the, the positive implications of using our sexuality in a way that God intended for us. That's a large part of why when you notice when we have these conversations in Mountain Students, we're not talking about sexual purity. We're really leaning mm. into this uh, kind of word sexual integrity. Uh, and a lot of that just comes down to when we talk about sexual purity, uh, purity is something that can be lost. Sure. It's really not something you can gain back. Uh, it's really hard to become pure again. I mean, we look at the example throughout the Bible of God being this pure God, mm -hmm. uh, we often will fall short. We are no longer pure. And that's why we love that term sexual integrity, because the definition of that is guarding my potential for intimacy through appropriate boundaries and mutual respect. It's something that anyone can pursue no matter where where you are. And that's, sure. I think, a lot of kind of the perspective or the approach that Mountain wants to take, uh, just like Jesus, meeting people where they're at and helping point them towards what's best for them, helping them be able to have sexual intimacy in whatever ways that might mean, whether that means uh, in the context of a marriage or whether it mm -hmm. is uh, somebody who's single, who's guarding that and saving that for, sure. for another time. I like the way you said that, Sean. Integrity has um, connotations of wholeness, right? We're trying to be whole, full, full people, right? And purity, there's a purity culture thing uh, that the, the church kind of became known for, and it was more about, oh, you know, you messed up and we weren't really able to help coach people when they messed up. They, they had a setback or something. And then there was guilt and shame associated right. with it. And I guess that guilt and shame was loaded on to try to motivate you to get back on track. I'm not sure if that was the most successful. So, way. so many different illustrations I can sure. think about that was shared. Yeah, sure, as a sure. But pursuing wholeness and, and in that way of talking about it, like you said, whatever point you are on the journey, it's like there's a chance to move forward toward wholeness. Okay. Yep. You're broken in all kinds of ways. And yep. It's super painful to be honest about that. And yes, it's super hard to share that with other people and expose those parts of your life. Totally. Whether we're talking about sexuality or any area of brokenness, but the hope held out by the gospel, the hope held out by Jesus is that when you do those things and you move toward Jesus, oh my goodness, the, where, where you might have expected condemnation is replaced by acceptance. And when you uh, tell the truth about who you are, 
is met with forgiveness and uh, let's go. Let's go on the journey. Let's move down this path. Nothing about the setbacks you've had on this path so far disqualify you from getting to where God is calling you to go. So I think those are some just conceptually good things to have in mind when we're talking about sexual integrity. I think chastity, that's kind of an old word, but often use that phrase as well. Chastity. And to be clear, and if we if we haven't been clear already, to just say sex is designed to happen within the, the boundaries of a marriage. Uh, man and a woman, just like, again, it's on page one, and it carries throughout the high calling. Lots of people in the Bible that don't live up to that calling, but that the standard never changes from, from what we can tell as we interpret what the scripture is trying to communicate to us. So, uh, sexual chastity for a couple that is married means, uh, yeah, uh, preserving that and, and expressing sexuality within the context of that marriage, uh, one-to-one. Um, t- don't step outside of that. Sexual chastity for someone who is single means uh, that they're uh, expressing themselves, walking openly before God, and that they're not pursuing sex outside of a marriage relationship, whether they're actively pursuing romantic relationships or not. And I've, of course, talked with plenty of people who just think the vision for their life is not to pursue romantic relationships. And they are living full and good and awesome Jesus following lives, you know, and that, uh, again, we have biblical examples of both. And, and they're able to have relational intimacy, being able to sure. have the connection, being able to to have really solid, healthy relationships. Because that's something that is a need for all of us. Yeah. It just means that in the area of, of their, their sexual area, they're just kind of taking a step back and yeah. leaning into the standard talk, that it has for us. I talk about that with my kids as we try to paint a picture of a vision for what they, what will be true of you when you're 18 years old and you leave my house, you know. Hopefully, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Here's the hoping. Here's the hoping. Um, one of those economy? features is healthy relationships. Just to say, I, I hope you have healthy relationships. And even now, when you're in sixth grade or you're in ninth grade, I hope you're building healthy relationships with boys and girls, and that you're you're learning how to share parts of your life with another person and build trust with another person. And of course, yeah, sometimes you got to draw boundaries for certain people, and uh, not everyone out there has your best interests in mind. But yep, there can be people who truly love you, and when they love God and love you, then that's a beautiful thing, and we can draw even more uh, intimacy out of those kind of relationships. And all of that, I think, is just going to set them up for when the time is right for them to uh, pursue a romantic relationship, that they'll have a good foundation. God will be invited into that picture and they can uh, be set up to go wherever they, they feel like God is leading them in that kind of relationship. So I think that's so key and um that we, we, we were made for relationships. So got to keep talking about how to do those right. And so what are, what are some of the ways that we can help guide people towards, towards that standard, towards what God was wanting for us when it comes to the area of sexuality? Mm-hmm. So I think especially for a group leader, making, creating space to talk. Okay. I, as I think about my goal in raising teenagers is my main goal is just keep the dialogue open. There are there is a place for helping my teenagers and all my kids know what is right and wrong. Where are the standards? What what's the path to go on? Uh, but mostly, I want to have an arena of open dialogue that we can talk about the the times when you do veer off the path, when you try to live outside the boundaries. I don't want to create so much uh, tension and um, hypersensitivity around those, or you know, shame, uh, kind of packing that in when you go outside the boundaries, that when you do that, then there isn't going to be any open dialogue between us. So I think the same is true for a group leader to just 
um, expressing a posture of unconditional love and that nothing is off limits here, no matter how awful or icky or shameful you think it is. Like I can handle whatever you throw at me and I've got to model that over time. Um, that comes through in, in ways that I might not even be aware of. Like if, if, a student hears me talking kind of in a judgy way about someone else who did uh, a certain things. They pick up on that. And they're like, oh, okay, well, I guess if I ever do a thing like that, then I better not talk to yeah, you about it, good. right? So uh, my kids are paying attention to that for me too. If you know, see a commercial on TV that depicts a, a homosexual couple or whatever, and I make a snide comment about that because, oh, I mean, they're, they're seeing how I react to that. And they're going to know if, oh, okay, if that's something that is, is, is a thing that I'm wrestling with, I'm thinking about um, my, my sexuality or I'm attracted to someone of the same sex or something, I've signaled to them already that that's not a safe thing to, that I could talk to this person about. So it's very subtle and certainly we'll mess up. We won't be perfect all the time and, and hopefully our kids will give us some grace too. But as much as I can, try to keep an open dialogue that we can talk about Whatever you're thinking about, because you're going to think all oh, what kind of weird stuff when it, <laughs> about everything and about sexuality, especially. So I'm trying to just acknowledge that and create an open doorway uh, of dialogue that I think is the, like the foundation for whatever we're going to do that points people down the right path. So that's kind of first thing. Were you about yeah. to say something, Chase? Yeah, I just, you prompted something in my mind that I learned a few years ago. is just to be a good small group leader, you need to have a really good poker face. Mm. Sure. Like when someone says the thing that just is so off cuff or off base or in this case, so just like, you know, cause you're right. How we respond to even what our students say about their sexuality can trigger safety or can trigger non-safety. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so having the, just that face that just says, Hey, I love you. I respect you. I appreciate you. Thanks yeah. for sharing. And then maybe later you have like the, Whoa, yeah. I can't believe that. that. <laughs> <Sure>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Talk to your friends to in private face. about that. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, that's prompted to me. Like, that's a really good, like, they're watching you. And also, even in that space, if they actually do yeah. decide to say it, yeah. it's like, we got to make sure that we're on our yeah. best facial expression behavior. Yeah. <laughs> so and of, we're, oh, go ahead, Sean. So kind of this first, first principle is like, it begins with us. We first need to mm -hmm. pursue God's best. At the same time, we need to be able to respond with love, grace, and truth in some ways, be able mm -hmm. to respond to the student as we would imagine Jesus would. Mm -hmm. these yeah, well, maybe you're saying two things. Like You hinted at something even probably before the thing I said, which was I'm pursuing um, sexual integrity in my own life. Okay, I'm pursuing God's best. So I'm walking in a way that is admirable or, or worthy of um, imitation. I, I got to get that straight too. So that, that's true of any leader, right? I, I got to be someone worth following in that regard. And then uh, that doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it, you know, I got to do that and then create an environment where we can talk about anything. Okay. There's nothing that you're going to bring up that is going to make me love you less or label you um, or, you know, avoid you or, or, or something. I, I got to try to convey that. Um, yeah, the least small principle, create a safe place. Sure. Being able exactly. to manage sure. the tension, well being able to live it, live it out and mm -hmm. really having that open dialogue and having the poker face. Uh, yeah. I think we all can think of situ situations where, We've not had the best poker face. Yeah, I, I get it. We're not going to do it perfectly. And, and probably the longer you're in the game, so to speak, the more you've heard, yeah. the less surprised you're going to be by, yeah, by any situation. So <laughs> Let's ask Kim Seifert, who's been doing there this you for go. Like 20 yeah. years. I'm sure she's she's heard it all. I wonder if but. we could have a student actually tell her something that would surprise her. No, there I don't think go. so. That sounds like it's a, not going to happen. That sounds like a competition. But I mean, and then we, we're appointing people to Jesus. Ultimately, that's what, you know, I, I don't I hate to 
oversimplify it. In some ways, it is that simple. Just we're trying to get people to fall in love with Jesus and so they could bring their whole selves before the Lord. And we tend to compartmentalize things. And sometimes when you come to Jesus, you, you don't, you might say you're coming to him with all that you are, but you kind of don't the more you examine your life. And whether that's like, I keep my wallet protected from Jesus because I'm not quite ready for Jesus to direct like how I'm going to spend my money, right? Um, I keep my, you know, my pursuit of like power and authority or status in my workplace or whatever. I kind of don't let Jesus really influence how I think about those things. I want to kind of keep that protected because I like the the recognition or what, what comes with it as I rise up a ladder. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying I can choose to allow Jesus to speak to me about that or to have uh, uh, kind of influence over that part of my life and th- those thoughts or or not. I can totally shut them out and just sort of play the world's power game if I want to. Or uh, my sexuality. I can not really bring that before Jesus and say, Jesus, I really think you're cool in all of these ways, but I don't really want you influencing how I think about my sexuality, my romantic relationships. If I want to go out uh, on a date with people, that's like not an arena. I'm not taking you with me. Okay. You don't really inform that part of my life because I've compartmentalized that. So that is a challenge for all of us. It's a lifelong thing as you come to Jesus, coming to Jesus with all of yourself. I understand the reasons you might want to hold some of that back. I've, I do it myself. I'm kind of every day trying to um, walk openly before the Lord in a you know holistic way. Uh, it occurs to me, I just mentioned kind of the three big ones, money, sex, and power. All right. Those have been uh, trying to steer people in a certain direction for since the world began. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And the invitation to follow Jesus, cause Jesus is Lord. He can't be who he's not, right? He is Lord. He just is. So he is going to be who he is. And it doesn't mean he's just coming in and kicking the door down and taking names or whatever. He is gentle and he is strong and he is the exalted king of the earth and he is near to you and close enough to be your best friend. And that's amazing that Jesus can be all of that. Um, But he is going to be Lord and we have to uh, help students and ourselves also try to let Jesus be the Lord that he is over every aspect of life. And so that is a, that's going to be a dialogue. That's not something it's like you're going to do a small group lesson on that and teach kids how to do that. And then, all right, I'm glad we covered that. That shouldn't be an issue any longer. Because it's an issue for me still. I'm trying to let Jesus be Lord of every aspect of my life. And so when I see a kid that is... Um, showing a willingness to try to do that, but maybe stumbling along and having lots of hiccups along the way and showing signs of, okay, yeah, I want to commit myself to Jesus in this area, but then you know, I, I take one step forward and then eight steps back or something. As a, as a group leader, I am just simply always trying to remind them that Jesus is still calling you and inviting you. No matter the fact that you've drifted off the path doesn't mean you can't continue to pursue sexual integrity. doesn't mean you uh, are disqualified from pursuing God's best for you, and I'm going to walk that with you. So it's just the, the standard, the focus never changes. It's always Jesus. The place which we encounter kids might be different all along the way, uh, right? Because of how they grew up and what they bring to the table initially or the mistakes that they made along the way, and we've got to meet them where they are. Yeah, lick, uh, comfort their wounds uh, and hear them out and do all of that, but then we don't stay there. It's always about leading toward Jesus uh, from wherever they're at. And that's just hard, painstaking work. And God bless the student group leaders that are doing that work. Amen to that. 
And so, which might be where we want to land with the, the rest of our time today is uh, to get just really practical, uh, just knowing that uh, we all are falling short of God's best. Uh, mm-hmm. It might be really helpful for us to talk through what it looks like to really walk with students through that. And mm-hmm. obviously there's a variety of different issues that we could, sure. could be or different struggles that students bring to this, whether that be wrestling with same-sex attraction, sure. uh, addicted to pornography, mm-hmm. Uh, lust of any kind. Uh, and so there's so many different ways. It might just be helpful for us mm. just to maybe zero in and use one as an example, not because one is worse than the other or mm. better than the other, but just kind of focus on one so we can kind of hit the road and really uh, be on the ground there. And so how would would a group leader be able to meet a student where they're at and begin to walk with them to help them pursue sexual integrity, pursue God's best if they're kind of wrestling with same-sex attraction mm-hmm. uh, when they're trying to figure out well, maybe who do yeah. I like and all of those things sure. am I attracted to? Um, I've talked with my daughter in this way before. Maybe this is helpful. So first, I'm just trying to be aware of the situation in which she or you know any student really finds themselves. And that is oh, a world where that tries to kind of oversimplify. There's, there's two camps and there's two movements afoot, like for it or against it, right? Uh, and that, that could be true um, whether you're talking about homosexuality or even just sexuality in general, like there's the camp that's like go uh live free expression of your sexuality and then there's like oh no diminish those things pull that back and you know put a damper on all of that so um i i get it that those two cultural currents are felt and that i've got a student that is living in that environment and, and kind of trying to manage the tension between those things so just to acknowledge that and say that well i think there are I think what the Bible calls us to is, is wisdom about how to live in those tensions. The Bible's very aware that the world is full of tensions, but it doesn't just simplify it and say that, well, that kind of behavior or that kind of belief is all bad and that kind is all good, right? That It doesn't work that way. Um, being human and living in the world is, is more complex. So um, I am trying to help my kids know the standard and what what is sexual integrity what was sex designed for sex is um designed by god to be expressed within the context of a marriage relationship it, it is bounded in that way i realize that when i start talking about boundaries that we live in an environment that doesn't like talking about boundaries you know true freedom is defined by our culture generally as throwing off all boundaries and pursuing whatever you want and just any desire that's within you to cultivate that and let it go aflame and go wherever it wants to let that actually become in charge and take you wherever it wants to take you i'm not sure that's the wisest way to live so i am trying to help them understand that living within boundaries is wise and good and in fact more life-giving than just letting desire run wild. And whether we're talking about a desire that is for a heterosexual relationship or a homosexual relationship, I'm, I'm just saying the Bible does call us, Jesus as Lord does call us to um, be wise with our desires and not let them take the main seat and just drive us wherever they want to go. Jesus is trying to drive us in a way that leads us towards full humanness and full enjoyment of, of sexuality. So we're going to try to let Jesus drive. So I can't just um, go down the road of, all right, we're for it. Or, you know, it, every, anything goes when it comes to sexuality, just cultivate whatever you want and live your fullest, freest sexually expression. Like do that however you want to do that. At the same time, that doesn't mean I'm automatically in this other camp of like, no, it's bad, quell every sexual desire and don't talk about that in church because that's, I'm not doing that either. So I'm trying to 
pursue Jesus and help see where um, sexuality fits within those boundaries. And it, in, in our case, when we're talking about same-sex attraction, LGBTQ community, we're aware that there's, there's camps that have built up in, in that, like you're for it or against it there. And oftentimes you say that you're a Christian, you say, I go to church. What do people assume? Well, they put you in the camp, you're against it. We, do, we just know that. That's what's true about you, Jesus kind of people, right? And I'm saying to my kids, no, I'm not, I'm not going to just be categorized as, as against anyone or that, that we, we need to be more thoughtful about that. And so I, I've talked to my kids about, I, I feel like we're on this shrinking island of people who are on the one hand saying, we do think there is some wisdom in God's design for sexuality. We think there's something true to grasp onto and to um, adopt in our lives. There, there are some sexual standards and we're, we're not just going to let desire run wild. So we are going to hold on to something that is true and that does, at the end of the day, say, yes, some things are better than others. Some things are in line with God's purposes and some things are not. We are going to be people who hold on to something that's true. At the same time, we are going to be um, committed to the call to love and welcome and affirm and bless and create space for and be friends with and in- equip People who think differently than us uh, about all kinds of things, specifically about sexuality, people who are living different kinds of lives when it comes to sexuality, um, pursuing sexuality outside of the boundaries that that God intended in whatever form, we are going to um, love them and care for them and find space for them within our community. And as they decide whatever they're going to decide about Jesus, like is Jesus worth walking toward or, or like is not worth their time. But if they're, if they're showing up in our spaces, they're probably thinking, well, there's something to this. Some of these church people, there's something to this Jesus thing that I want to walk toward. We want a community that is going to uh, walk with them and welcome them as they sort out their relationship to the sexual standard. Okay. I don't know when that's going to come. Uh, as we as we've said, anyone that starts walking toward Jesus is is probably going to be this process of letting Jesus into more and more of your life, in, integrated into more and more of your thinking and your actions. And at some point, that will start to uh, make contact with your sexuality, how you think about that, how you act upon that. So we want to be a community where people who are trying to sort it out and maybe expressing them expressing their sexuality in ways that aren't yet consistent with the standard of sexual integrity we want to be a community where they can find a home and be welcomed and we can walk with walk with them so that is not as simple as just saying oh we're for it or against it we like those people we don't like those people i'm trying to help my kids be the kind of people who know what's true in the in a sea of competing ideas and desires and, and movements that will push you in all kinds of directions that are, are away from god's and who are committed to what is also true about how Jesus has called us to love people and, and welcome people. And that can get messy. Um, you can choose to be a community that makes it very clear about who's, it, who's in and who's out, who's invited here and who's not. And I don't want to be a part of, of that kind of community. Um, I, I just don't think that's what the church is called to be. And I don't want to teach my kids to think like that or to make friends like that. So something very practical, something very practical that I think we should, we should note. People will say, well, you know, can I be gay and be a Christian? You're you're talking about that. To be clear, uh, someone who says I am gay, th- that doesn't automatically condemn anyone. There's nothing in the Bible that would that would condemn you for that. The question is, what do you do with um, your the fact that you're attracted to same sex? 
um, are you going to bring that into arena, an arena of submission to Jesus or not? Okay, I, I know people who say, well, you know, they say, I'm gay. Um, and at the same time, they're pursuing Jesus. And the standard doesn't change in terms of what's expected for sexual integrity. And the way that they uh, pursue that and the desires that they manage within themselves and that they submit before, before the Lord in some ways are very much the same as mine, even though the, the specific desire might be different. But they are called to the same thing that I'm called to, to let Jesus be Lord of my desires and my instincts and my passions and, and then to play that out in a way that is um, sexually chaste or, you know, mar- it was marked by sexual integrity. So, again, we live in an environment that just wants to categorize. If, if you say, I'm gay, well, then you automatically are filed over here. I mean, so many uh, Christians and churches have done that sort of simple filing system. And that I just don't see that that's squaring with what Jesus calls us to and what Jesus wants for his church. So I don't want my kids to think that way. And I don't want my kids to be confused about what's true and what the standard is. And so everyone's got to sort that out. And that's a little bit about how I've talked about that. Did you hear the bit from Andy Stanley in the past couple of weeks? I've, I haven't, no. Is a, no. I saw on TikTok, you sent it to me the other day too. Um, he was preaching a few weeks back. And he said, this is a little quip about the gay community. It's like, you know, if you're in this church and you're and you're gay um, and you're pursuing Jesus, like you might have more faith than me. Sure. Based off how the church has treated you. For sure. And it's like, I listen, I'm just like, okay, Andy. Yeah. Like that's a really valid point to think about the ways that the community has been marginalized by some really just bad theology over the years. And those folks still choosing to pursue Jesus is truly beautiful. So good for our group leaders to recognize and someone in their group says, I'm gay or I'm having these thoughts. Just recognize the, the real struggle that, that they might have had up to that point and what it might have taken for them to even say that out loud. And like mm-hmm. they're, they're, that should not be lost on our group leaders. And then meet them where they are, take them by the hand. I, I'm, I'm thinking there's no quick fixes, so to speak. It, right. It's a, okay, I'm going to meet this person on the journey and walk them toward Jesus. That's why I'm in this place yeah. Right now, to do this task as a small group leader, and that is a lifelong process that you may not last with them that your right. entire life, um, but you have a role to play in that for this season, and be faithful with that role and steward it well. Yeah. So, two two more uh, just practical situations that pop up that mm. I think it'd be good to just add a little bit more commentary. Uh, there are situations where parents are not pursuing sexual integrity. Sure. And how does a group leader walk with a student as the student begins to maybe navigate the reality of like, well, my parents aren't doing this. So what does that mean mm-hmm. for me? Mm-hmm. Well, that's super hard. It's probably different in any case. I think a uh, just being, call, call it, saying what it is, say, hey, well, my job or, or the calling that I feel like I have as, as a leader, as someone who is following Jesus and then inviting others to follow Jesus is simply to introduce you to Jesus and be acquainted with his um, standard, his calling, and and have the courage to respond to that. And so I, I'm going to continue to do that and, and be with you as you sort that out, what it, what it means for you, even if your parents aren't saying that that's something that they're interested in. And if your parents are telling you something else about how to have a romantic relationship or how to express your sexuality, I can listen to that and I can say, okay, um, let me help you hear how the Bible would talk to you about how to have a romantic relationship or how to express your sexuality. And then let me help you sort through the, maybe the discrepancy between those things. And, you know, then the, the students got to make their choice in the environment they're in. And 
there may be a lot sort of stacked against them if they're not having that reinforced from home. And, you, you know, you, you're not a superhero that's going to be able to save them, but I think you do what you can do to help them see Jesus and, and know Jesus calling and Jesus truth and Jesus acceptance and all that. And the last one, and once again, we're kind of wrapping up, so you're not going to be able to probably reach mm-hmm. this in its whole um, breath, but gender identity. There are some students who are exploring what it might look like for maybe them to transition or for them to have different pronouns. Are there any really helpful practical tips as we enter into that conversation, knowing that you're not going to be able to yeah. touch on everything that you'd like to touch on in this? Well, referring, I think you're familiar with Preston Sprinkle's work, uh, Center for Sexuality and Gender. I benefit. So, uh, you could ask the same question going to that website or listening to some of his stuff, reading him stuff, some of his stuff. He wrote a book called Embodied, which is specifically about transgender. Um, so I, I would just, you know, I'd be cautious about, I, I know that students, all of us are living in a world that I think largely seems to be saying to us, if you feel these things, you should do everything you can to foster those feelings and desires and thoughts and like, Take them to their fullest expression. Don't let anyone put any, it's you know. very impassioned. Yes. Don't let anyone yeah. put any barriers on you because they're being restrictive. Like throw off all limitations and just go with those wherever they lead you. So I, I would just, I'm not convinced by that approach to life. I would be cautious about letting that um, kind of groundswell take you in that direction. And say god you know god sees you god knows you god loves you god is is waiting to hear from you as you talk to him about these things that you're experiencing they're not they don't have to be out of bounds in terms of your conversation with god um and the conversation with us you know you you just be honest and open about this is what i'm experiencing i may not want these feelings and that is actually probably every christian to a degree, has that experience of, I, I have feelings that I don't want. I have thoughts in my head that I, that I don't want. So I'm not trying to, you know, diminish a, a, a person who is having, you know, gender dysphoria or thinking those kinds of things. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, everybody's got it, so what are you bellyaching about? Not at all. Okay. I, th- there is a certain um, challenge just because of the environment we live in and the stigma attached and the bigotry and hatred that has gone towards people that say I'm transgender, I'm thinking these things. So I, I'm very aware of that. Probably not even, you know, to the degree that, you know, someone who's actually in that experience is. So I hope you can hear what I'm saying and what, I, what I'm not saying there. Just acknowledge that and encourage it to be walked out before the Lord and in the presence of a loving community. I think that's just the first step. And then more particular steps along the way and insight along the way someone like Preston Sprinkle and, and the whole, his team of people and the research that they've done and the resources that they have, like, okay, let's, let's let them be our guides as we walk this journey out. Probably the best thing I could say right now. Yeah. And those resources will be linked in our show notes. We've developed a sexual integrities resource guide mm. uh, for group leaders. And so those resources and so many more that allow you to think a little bit deeper on that. Cause we could do a whole episode on that, but a lot of these sure. principles still apply in this conversation. Uh, as we go ahead and wrap up, though, I just want to remind ourselves of something that's in our onboarding training, that uh, the way that you respond personally to the moment when someone shares something with you is going to be the way that they will describe the way the church responded to them wow. for the rest of their life. And that was shared by Tom Shefshesunas at a conference. Really powerful thing. And so remember, uh, when people are coming to you with these things, uh, the two questions you want to make sure that they know the answer to is God still loves them. Mm-hmm and that you still love them. And mm-hmm. you need to make sure that you, those questions are true for you. But good uh, 
As we go ahead and wrap up, remember uh, who you are and who you are becoming in Christ is more important than what you do. If we're going to be going to make disciples, we have to first be disciples ourselves. So let's each commit to personally walking the walk with Jesus and living out the mountain walk by loving God, loving people, and serving the world. Because everything rises and falls on the strength of our disciple makers and our process to connect students to them.